Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verse 11, and then we're going to read verses 19 and 20. I don't know that I'm going to get, I'm telling you, I, I gave Brother Goff four pages of scriptures. I, I doubt seriously I'll get through all that. I'm not even aiming for that tonight. I, I've got it. I really seriously doubt I'm going to get through much more than just an introduction tonight. I want to get into the first of these seven, but I just got a feeling I'm probably not going to get that far. And um, But we're going to go as far as the Lord will let us tonight. And we're not going to be in a hurry. We're going to glean everything we can glean from this. Amen. Revelation 1. And by the way, let me just say this. Um, as you're looking at your Bible, most King James Bibles have titled this book The Revelation of St. John the Divine. I don't like that title. I don't mind telling you I don't like that title. Um, this is not the revelation of John. You can see verse 1 if you're looking at your Bible. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't think John would have liked that title. And I sure don't think he would have liked being called the divine. And, and by that they didn't mean divine in the sense of divinity. They meant as in a diviner or one who uh, predicts the future, a prophet. That's the way the word was being used. But still I don't think John would have liked that very well. So be that as it may. Revelation, and the other thing is it's not the book of Revelations. There's no S on the end of that. This is, there's one revelation here. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's one God and there's one revelation. Well, praise God. I'm trying to help you here, trying to help you here. Amen. Amen. All right. Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia. And unto Laodicea. Skipping down now to verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen. And the things which are. And the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Praise God. Now, listen to me. This is about as deep into the book of Revelation as you'll ever hear me go. Hallelujah. Because this one gives us the interpretation, so we, it doesn't require a whole lot. Hallelujah. And the other thing we'll talk about in just a minute, why I don't have a problem with this part of the book of Revelation. 
Um, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you're standing and you're ready to sit down. And so we're going to ask the Lord to help us tonight. I, I want you to pray sincerely. Church, I'm asking you not just to pray a generic prayer, but I am asking you to pray specifically that throughout this series of study, that God will help you to see the things that he wants you to do to help bring this revival to pass. Not what somebody else needs to do, but God, show me what you want me to do. Oh, feel this tonight. Show me what you want me to do to help bring this revival to pass. Church, it's time. It's time. And if we'll pay the price right now, I'm telling you, we're going to start seeing the results. I am 100% certain of that. Now, you don't hear that out of me much, but I'm telling you right now, I am 100% certain. If we'll pay the price right now, we're going to see the revival we've been talking about for the last 25 years. If we'll pay the price right now. If we'll get a hold of what I'm going to talk to you about over the next several weeks and we'll pay the price, it's going to happen. Oh, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. Amen. Let's pray that prayer right now, can we? name. Let's praise him together right now, everybody. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, let me, um, let me say to you tonight, I said a while ago, I have no problem. Wow. You talk about a prayer of transformation. Now, when I closed my eyes, Brother Goff was sitting in that chair. Now, Brother Hilton's there. 
Praise God. I'm sorry. I understand. I know. I'm just teasing. Um, there is, um, I, I said a while ago that this part of the book of Revelation I don't mind talking about and that I would explain to you why I say that. And, and it's based on what we read here in Revelation 1 verse 19. I want you to notice what the Lord said to John as he's telling him to write this revelation. Uh, read for me verse number 19. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which the are. The things which you have seen and the things the which things are. Which are, that's present tense, and the things and which shall be, the things which shall be hereafter. hereafter. And so he is saying to John, now John, I'm going to show you some things, and I want you to write down everything I show you, but I want you to understand this, John. We're really dealing with two time periods. We're dealing with the things that are, and we're also dealing with the things which shall be hereafter. Amen. And so I'm telling you, when it comes to the things which shall be hereafter, uh, uh, I'm not an expert there. And in fact, every expert that I've ever met that thought he was an expert wasn't an expert. Unless you use the definition that I heard, you know, you break the word apart and X means a has been, spurts just a big drip. And, and if they're that kind of expert, then yeah, they are experts. But, uh, but I, I'm telling you, um, what was it Brother Self said yesterday that he heard a man get up and say one time he wasn't going to teach on uh, prophecy because his third antichrist had already died. And uh, that's kind of the way that I feel about all of this. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not going to try to get into all of that. I, I, I feel like that God's going to let us understand it all by and by. Just the way I believe it. That's the way I believe it. But there are some things that Jesus said to John. These are things which are. This is not something where you're having to figure out about the stinging scorpions coming up out of the pit and, and, and trying to figure out about the dragon. And, and There are some things, John, that I'm going to show you that are present day experience. I feel pretty comfortable in that. Hallelujah. Amen. I feel really comfortable in that. And I believe that that's exactly what's being dealt with here in these uh, letters to these seven churches. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now, some other things that you need to notice about this. Read for me verse 20. Revelation 1 verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars. Now, now here's, here's again another reason why I feel very comfortable with this because Jesus explains it to John. Now, you'd have to back up earlier in chapter 1 and see that, that John's having this vision and he sees the Lord standing there and, and in his right hand, uh, in verse 16, uh, he sees that in the Lord's right hand there are seven stars. And he also looks in this vision of Jesus Christ and he sees there uh, that there are seven golden candlesticks. And so now the Lord says, let me explain to you what you just saw. Let me give you the interpretation. So he says in verse 20, read. 
the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. All right, read. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, we'll come back to that latter part in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the fact that he saw seven stars in the right hand of Jesus Christ. And he said, these stars are the angels of the church. Now, don't misunderstand this. He's not talking about winged creatures from heaven. The Greek word that is used here is angelos. And angelos simply means the messenger. And so Jesus is speaking to John and he said, these seven stars represent the messenger of the church. Praise the Lord. So who is the messenger of the church? Well, that's obviously the pastor. That's who he's talking about when he says, amen, the angel of the church. He's not trying to say that the pastor has a halo over his head. He's saying the pastor is the man that is the messenger to that assembly. If I've got something to say to the assembly, I'm going to say it to the messenger. In fact, I would point out to you, John was an apostle. And not just any apostle. He was, he was one of the three that went places the other apostles did not go. John was one of the three that stood at the Mount of Transfiguration. John was one of the three that was invited into very special situations by the Lord. John is the one that the Bible calls the disciple whom Jesus loved. But I'm telling you that when John sat down to write to the church, he didn't write it to the saints. He wrote it to the angel of the church and he sent his message to the pastor of that assembly. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this now, but, but I will tell you, for example, the first of these seven churches is the church at Ephesus. And John wrote his message to the angel of the church, though John was a beloved apostle. But Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And that's interesting because Paul didn't write his letter to the messenger. He wrote it to the church. Now that says to me that Paul had some kind of special authority in that church. Amen. And the reason why we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but just suffice it to say, Paul founded that church. He was the founder of that assembly. And anybody that pastored in Ephesus was there because Paul put them there. Amen. And so I have no doubt that Paul had discussed these things with the angel of the church of Ephesus. Amen. In fact, history tells us Timothy uh, pastored that church in Ephesus for a little while. And, and uh, so I, I, I'm telling you that I have no doubt that, that Paul had talked to the messenger of the church, but Paul had a special authority as the founder and the quote-unquote spiritual father of that assembly. 
Amen. But, but, amen, even Jesus Christ, when he sent a message to a church, he went through the messenger. That's just the way he does things. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I get disturbed when all of a sudden folks think they've got some word from God that, that blows my mind and shocks me and, uh, and I didn't have any idea about it. Let me just tell you this right now. If what you say to your pastor surprises your pastor, uh, you might want to go back and pray about it again. Well, hallelujah. Amen. So, This is the way it is. The angel of the seven churches. He said the angels of the seven churches. Amen. And where were they? Read for me. Verse 16. And he had in his right hand. In his right hand. Seven stars. Seven stars. So here's what I'm telling you. We understand as one God people what the right hand symbolizes. Right? We know what it means. When we, when we talk about the right hand of God, we're not talking about a literal, physical, geographic location. We are talking about the symbol of power and authority. And this is what the Lord said to John. I want to tell you something, John. When it comes to the man that I put in that assembly, I've got him there in my right hand. He's got my authority. He's got my power. I put him there. I've delegated to him the authority in that assembly. The right hand of God is with that man. Now, now we're talking about a real man of God that is truly sent of God. We're not talking about everybody that calls himself a preacher, all right? And that's where some folks get all hung up because they want to point at some preacher that goes off into false doctrine and whatever. And we're not talking about that. But we're talking about the man that really is in the right hand of God. Amen. And I'm telling you, God stands behind what that man says. He stands with that man. And he imparts to that man his authority and his power. Praise God. Amen. And then in verse 20, he talked not only about the seven stars, but there was something else that uh, Jesus explained to John about this vision. Read verse 20 again. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven, and golden, the seven candlesticks. golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven are the angels of the seven. Now the churches. stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks. And the candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven are churches. the seven churches. Now the Lord is using symbolism here to make a point. He never wastes his time. He's not just picking anything to be a representation of the church, but he chose the candlestick. Why did he choose a candlestick? What is the significance of the candlestick? Well, I think we ought to know that based on Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14. Jesus said this, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus expects the church to be. He doesn't want us, he meant to be hid somewhere for folks to have to wonder if there's an apostolic church in this city we ought to be shining bright we ought to be the light in the midst of the darkness of this city we are the candlestick in Olathe 
Amen. Praise God. We are the golden candlestick in this city. Amen. And God wants us to shine. Amen. And he wants it to be his fire that's providing the light and that candlestick. He doesn't want a false fire. I don't have time to go into all this. Tonight we'll never get done. But, but listen to me. I want you to understand something about the churches. Now, just like the stars are in his right hand, I want you to look at what he says here in verse 13 about the, the churches. And in the midst of the seven candles. In the midst. Everyone say in the midst. Everyone say in the midst. That means in the middle of. Right in the middle of these seven candlesticks. One like unto the Son of Man. That's where the Son of Man was. Clothed with a garment down to the foot. Girt about the paps with a golden girdle. All right. Now this is what he said. He is in the midst of those candlesticks. Amen. And he says this again in chapter 2 verse 1. Read. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. These things saith he, yes, right, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candles. Let me tell you something, church. Amen. We come to church and we feel wore out and we feel tired and we feel whatever. But I want to tell you there's one that's walking in our midst tonight. I said this on Sunday night. I say it again. We need to understand Jesus is in the house. He's walking up and down these aisles tonight. He's here in this place. According to the scripture, he is walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. You may not see him. There may be times you don't even feel him. But let me tell you, my friend, he's here and he's walking in this place. And he notices whether we're paying attention. Oh, we're sending text messages. Oh, we're writing in our calendar. Oh, we're sending notes. Oh, we're flirting with a pretty girl across the aisle. Or we're on social media. Look, he's walking. He's walking. And he's looking. And, And he sees what's going on in the service. And he knows whether we're giving him our best or if we've just got it in neutral and we're trying to coast through another night. He sees, he's walking, he's right here, he's walking. I'm telling you, he's in this service tonight. Whether we feel him like we felt him on other service nights or not, he's still in the midst of this candlestick. He's walking here tonight and he's taking inventory. He's looking to see who is really giving him the attention he deserves. Well, praise God. Amen. Now, this is why I tell you, I, don't, I doubt we'll get to the church of Ephesus tonight. I I doubt it. Ooh, Lord have mercy. I only got 15 minutes. I know we won't get to the church of Ephesus tonight. We may not get done with the introduction tonight. Hallelujah. All right, now, let's talk a little bit about the setting of this, uh, of these letters and what's going on here. John, uh, the apostle, wrote all of these letters. 
while he was on the Isle of Patmos, which history tells us was a prison island. It was the Alcatraz of his day. It was an island where they put the worst of the worst. The dregs of society went to Patmos. And this is where John was. Now, not because John had robbed a bank, not because John had murdered somebody. John wasn't in Alcatraz because he had been bad. But he tells us why he was there. Read Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. He said, I was in the isle called Patmos. Why? For the word of God. For the word of God. And for the testimony, and for the testimony of, Jesus of Jesus Christ. He said, I'll tell you why they threw me there. Because I was telling people the truth. Because I was proclaiming the gospel. Because I was preaching there's only one God and Jesus is his name. Because I was telling people you got to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, and you're going to have to give up your ungodliness and live a life that's pleasing to God. And they didn't like that. So they threw me out here on Patmos. That's why I was here. Now a lot of folks would lose their victory. Being out there on Patmos with the dregs of society when you hadn't done anything except what God told you to do. They'd lose their victory. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I've seen people lose their victory over a whole lot less. Somebody looked at them funny and they lost their victory. Somebody said something to them they didn't like and they lost their victory. Somebody didn't speak to them one night after church and they lost their victory. Hello, I'm just teaching tonight. I'm just, I'm just kind of enjoying myself here. I'm, I'm just kind of being pastor here tonight. And really what I'm being is the angel of the church. I'm just being the messenger. Amen, what I feel in my spirit tonight Amen. I, I, I've seen people lose their victory over some of the silliest things. I really have. And here's John put out here in prison just for preaching. And he wasn't sitting around whining, crying, complaining, feeling sorry for himself. And you know what? He's out there in prison and Sunday rolls around. And they didn't have any live streaming. They didn't have Facebook Live. And uh, they didn't have YouTube. And there was no way for John to log in to the local church service. And it's Sunday. And he can't get to church for reasons beyond his control. He had every reason to feel sorry for himself and have a little pity party. But you know what he did? Read the very next verse. What's verse 10 say? I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. 
Now, do you understand what the Lord's Day was? This was the term that the early church used. Now, they, they'd, most of them, you understand, originally all of them were Jews. And so they had the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day, and all the Jews had taken that one over. That's when they met in the synagogue. But the, the early Christians needed a day they could get together, so they chose to meet on the first day of the week, which was the day the Lord rose from the dead. And they started calling that the Lord's Day. So the seventh day was the Sabbath, and the first day was the Lord's Day. In fact, doesn't God always want the first fruits of everything? And all these people that want to tell you that, that this is pagan for us to meet on Sunday. Um, what's the term you used the other day? Bologna sausage. <laughs> that's something they used to say down south. I don't know if they say that up here, but in other words, that's, that's nonsense. That's just nonsense to say that's pagan to meet on Sunday because it's Sunday. Well, let me just give you a little hint. Monday is named after the moon. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, every day of our week is named after some God. And so whatever day we choose to meet on, we're facing the same problem. This was the Lord's day. It was the first day of the week. We didn't start this. The Catholic Church didn't start this. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He said, man, it's church time, but I can't get to church, so I'll just bring church to me. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to sit here and whine and cry. I'm going to find a way to get in the spirit. It's church time. I'm going to get in the spirit on the Lord's day. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, first of all, it is possible to get in the spirit even when you experience terrible things you don't understand. In fact, that's the best time to get in the spirit. Because if you don't get in the spirit, you're going to get in another kind of spirit. Right. You're going to, you're going to end up either depressed or angry, bitter, I'm just some kind of spirit's going to get a hold of you if you don't get in the spirit. And so John got in the spirit on the Lord's day. And, and so when you're going through something bad, you want to know what the answer is? Get in the spirit. Don't come in dragging your, your bottom lip on the ground and hanging your head and feeling sorry for yourself and saying, well, preacher, you just don't understand how bad my day's been. No, I don't, but he does. And I'll tell you this, I do understand how good God is. And even on your worst day, he's still a good God. And he still deserves your worship and your praise. You ought to get in the spirit. Now, I find it interesting that it's when he's in the spirit on the Lord's day that God gives him a message for the church. Isn't that something? Amazing how that works. The preacher's in the spirit on the Lord's day and God's got a message for the church. 
So, you know, when you're feeling depressed and down, and I just don't, you know, I'm just too blue to be in church tonight. Well, you're probably going to miss the message God's got for you. You're probably going to miss what God wants to say to you that'll pick you up out of the doldrums. I, I, I promise you, I learned this early on. I used to have folks that, that would miss church uh, over silly little things, and then they'd call me the next day, and, well, I've got this problem. And I, got, and I said, you know, if you'd have been in church last night, that's exactly what I taught on. I, church, I promise you, it's happened over and over and over and over. If they'd have just come to church, they'd have got the answer they wanted. You're not going to get the answer sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. But if you'll get in the spirit on the Lord's day and go find where the messenger is, you can probably get a message. All right, I got to hurry. I don't have much time. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm spending way more time on this introduction than I planned on. But, well, maybe I'm not because I kind of figured I wouldn't get much farther. So, so let me just let me just take my time here for a few more minutes. Praise God. Amen. And so, so if you want to get a message from God, get in the spirit. Do it on the Lord's day. Go find the messenger that God sent you. If you'll be faithful to the house of God, if you'll worship wholeheartedly, if you'll get in the spirit on the Lord's day, I promise you God will speak to you. Amen. All right, now, God told John, I want you to write to these seven churches. Now, you understand there were a lot more than seven churches in Asia. There were a whole lot more churches. And, and, and I know there's some people who say, well, these are seven church ages. And uh, you may have never heard that, but I've, I've heard it for years where people want to take this and make it a church age. They say, well, we're living in the age of Laodicea right now. Whatever. And they've, they've tried to, to, to make all this nothing but types. But to do that is to overlook what the Lord told John. He said, I want, I want you to write about the things that are and the things that are to be hereafter. And, and so there were literally these seven churches plus many other churches. But the Lord focused on these seven. And he wanted John to, to deliver the mail, if you please, to these seven churches. Now, they were not the only churches in existence, but there was a reason why God chose these seven. And uh, I read one man who said that uh, the reason was, was uh, because these cities were central hubs for the preaching of the gospel. That um, they were centers of activity where a lot of things happened and so it'd be very easy, people coming and going, you know. And so it'd be very easy to, to, to send a letter from this city to another city and it'd be easy to, to get things transported from one to the other and be easy for a lot of folks to get the message if you pick these key cities. And... Uh, he said, that's, that's the reason. And maybe, maybe that was part of it. Maybe, maybe that was part of the reason. But I think there was a whole lot more to it 
Because God has a way of getting his message where he wants it to be. He doesn't have to have a particular size city. He doesn't have to have a particular kind of activity. I'm telling you, the Ethiopian was out headed through the desert and God got his message to him. Well, has it already turned nine o'clock? Is it time to quit? Can you give me a few minutes? Let me at least finish this introduction here. God, God doesn't have to have a busy hub to get his message out. I think that there's more to it than that. I believe that a study of the positives and negatives that are addressed within these seven churches will give us God's concept of what a perfect church would be. The number seven has long been regarded as God's perfect number. And, and really, it's, it's a number, yeah, not, not perfection as in flawlessness, but perfection as in complete. And, and that's the way we see the number seven. And so God chose seven churches that if you look at the positives of these seven and you'll consider the negatives of these seven, if you'll practice the positives and avoid the negatives then you'll make a complete church of what God really wants. That's what I'm looking for, saints. I, I don't want to just be another church. I want to be a complete church. Well, hallelujah. Now, now listen, listen, there's a reason why. There's a reason why seven is so significant. You see, and I'm not into a lot of biblical numerology and you can get so sidetracked and all of that until you get way, way off track. But, but I will tell you this much. I do know the number one is the number of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's just one. The number one is the number of God. And six, it was on the sixth day that God made man. And six is the number of man. And you put one and six together. And that's when you really reach completion. When you bring God and man together, that's what God's looking for. Are you hearing me tonight? That's what God's looking for. That union between divinity and humanity is what God is looking for in this day and age. That's where we're going to find the complete church, the perfect church, is when one and six get together. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Now, as I said, as I said a while ago, uh, I've been feeling to go back into this for some time. And then as I got to listening to Elder Davis's message titled The Open Door, I have been more convinced than ever that this is the right time. During that message, he addressed several things from these seven churches that he felt God was either asking of or promising to this church. And there seems to be no better time than now to make a thorough study of these churches. And I'm telling you, what I preached to you Sunday morning about a place by him. I'm telling you, God's got a special place for this church. He's got a special place 
reserved for this assembly. And if we will learn the lessons of these churches, I'm telling you, God is going to take us there. All right, all right. I know it's getting late. It's getting late. It's getting late. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've printed out some of these promises. I just, I, I, I'm not trying to. Spoiler alert, they say. Spoiler alert. Uh, I just wanted you to hear one thing that I, I've said. If I, I didn't make note of this. I brought it just in case I might need it. But uh, I wanted to make note of, of one thing that, that he said here about this church. He, he, he began to talk about what God wanted to do. Let me find it here. Oh, he said, you know, he gave some stipulation we'll talk about maybe. If not tonight, we'll get into it later. But, but here is the result of what God wants. He said that throughout this city, everywhere through this city, are you listening to me? This is the Lord speaking to this church. Everywhere through this city, they're going to be saying, what's going on in Olathe? What's going on? Miracles are happening. Unusual things are happening down at that church. Oh, I feel it as I say it right now. I'm telling you, that's what God, and I've been saying all along, that's what God wanted to do, and here's confirmation. I'm telling you, church, this is where God wants to take us through all of this, and we've got the formula right in front of us. If we'll just put it into practice, if we'll just learn these lessons and begin to do what God is asking us to do. I'll tell you what, I, I, could, I could, I hope I whet your appetite. Those of you that haven't taken time to listen, I hope I whet your appetite to go. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just read this one thing to you here. As the elder was preaching, and he began to talk about what all God was going to do. He, he turned to me and he said, he said, let me say it, let me say it this way. And he turned around. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Regan, he said, when they start coming in like this, if you can get this church together, when they start coming in like this, would you give me a chance to lay hands on a thousand of them? Now he's dead and gone. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, church, we can still come together. We can still reach that place and we can have somebody else come in and lay hands on a thousand of them. I'm looking forward to laying hands on a thousand of them. And let me just tell you, I'm just going to tell you, you go through and hear it for yourself. But he said, God said to this church, I'll give them whatever they want. Whatever they can believe for, I'll give it to them. If it's 500 or if it's 5,000, if they'll do what I tell them to do and they'll believe me, I'll give them whatever they want. Yes. 
I believe it's going to be worth paying the price. I believe it's going to be worth paying the price. Let me just finish up here real quick. Let me get, let me get through this, this, uh, this introduction real quick. Amen. Amen. And so I believe that in these letters we find everything we need to know about how to see those promises fulfilled. So let me talk very quickly about the letters themselves. You're going to notice some things as we go through these letters, and I'm asking you to be paying attention to this. I may not point it out every time, but I want you to be listening for these things. These are, these are very unique things about these letters. Every letter, all seven letters, there's a letter to each of the seven churches actually addressed to the, the pastor of that church, the angel of that church. Every letter contains either a commendation or a condemnation. The church was either praised or they were reprimanded. And sometimes they got both. In fact, most of the time they got both. In fact, out of the seven churches, there was one church that got no commendation at all. Six of them, the Lord commended something about that church. But one church, God couldn't find anything good to say about. And out of the seven churches, six of them received some kind of condemnation. God found something about it that needed to be fixed. But one church, God found no wrong with them. One church had no right. One church had no wrong. Five of the seven had a mixture of good and bad. Uh, Each of the letters contain either a promise from God or a threat. And I don't use that word as in an empty threat. God makes a threat. He stands by it. And again, most of these letters contain both promises and a threat from God. Of the seven letters, of the seven letters that are here, six of them, six of the churches out of seven were told to repent. They were told to repent. And I will tell you this, one of the things that the elder kept stressing in these five messages was that this church needed to find a place of repentance. If we're going to see what God wants us to see, we needed to find a place of repentance. In fact, I was listening again. I've been listening, listening, listening. I was listening again as I was coming to church tonight, and I heard him say, I wonder what would happen if Olathe would spend about two hours on their faces saying, God, forgive me. God, show me what's wrong. God, fix the problems in my life. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers, but long about last October or November, I don't know the date, but I called this church to a week of repentance. Does anybody remember? I said, I feel like that's what we need. We need a week of repentance. And I'm going to tell you, that's when things really started changing as far as the atmosphere of the church. But we didn't get all the way we need to get. And I'm telling you, there's still some repenting that needs to go on. 
Now, I don't know about you. I don't mind telling you. There's not a day goes by that I don't do some repenting. Not because I'm sinning every day, but I'm just asking God, Lord, if there's anything in my life, if there's anything there, I want you to show me. I want you to fix it. I don't want there to be any problems. Sometimes we let things sneak in. We don't even know they're there. And I want God to show it to me. Amen. I want to be pleasing to him. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. All right. I'm 10 minutes over. Give me just a few minutes. Just a few minutes here. And so in these letters, there's something else that I want you to notice. And again, I may not point it out to you every time, but, but there's something that, that's really significant, and, and you'll, you'll see this if you'll, if you'll pay attention, that in each of these letters, the name of the city is significant. That God says something or makes some application to that church based on the name of that city. He really does. Um, I, I, I'll just throw this out there and we'll deal with it next week. But for instance, Ephesus, does anybody know what it was that God said to Ephesus? They was wrong with Ephesus. They left their first love. Do you know what the word Ephesus means? It means desirable one or fiance. It was, it was the beloved. And, and so... God took something that, that was in their name and he said something to the church that in some way had a correlation to the name of that city where they were to drive the point home. Amen. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll get into that. But I just, I want you to, even if I don't point it out to you, I want you to be paying attention. I'm nearly done. Every letter then contains the same plea from God. And it's this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He says that to all seven of them. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, I would, I would point this out to you. Um, and that is that he says, let, he doesn't say, you know, he's writing this to the angel, let's say, of the church of Ephesus. And he doesn't say, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the church. But to the churches. And so this is another reason why we should understand this is in the Bible, not just for the church at Ephesus. But every church needs to hear what the Spirit was saying. All the recipients were to hear what was said, not just to their church, but to all the churches. In fact, notice this specific instruction that that John received regarding writing these letters. Read for me again uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Read that. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. I'm the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. Wait a minute. What thou seest, write where? In a book. Write in a book. A book. He didn't say 
write in seven letters. So it seems to me that God said, John, I want you to write to these churches, but I want you to put all these letters in one book. Now, do you understand what that means? That means that whatever God found wrong with any church, every church that received this book knew. How would you like that? You know, how would you like for some of these prophecies and some of these, you know, the church needs to repent and God say, now let me just go broadcast that to the church down the street and tell them what I told you. But that's what he did. In fact, this was really a common practice in New Testament times. Read for me Colossians chapter 4 verse 16. We're going to stop right here. Musicians, you can come. My time's up and everybody's tired and ready to go home. So I'm going to quit right here. But, but listen, Colossians chapter 4 verse 16 and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And so, so this was a common thing that when, when they would write a letter to a church, it generally was not to stay within the confines of that church. But they said, you know what? Other churches are having the same problems. That's what's so amazing. People say, well, I got to leave this church. Too much drama in this church. It's kind of like the boy that said, I don't want anybody controlling my life, so I'm going to join the army. You're going to leave this church because there's too much drama. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go join a church where there's more drama. In fact, people that leave because of the drama, I'm about to get in trouble, but people that leave because of the drama usually are usually part of the drama. You said it nicer than I was going to, so I thought that would be a more tactful way to say it. Um, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Look, there's drama in every church. There are hypocrites in every church. There's problems in every church. I don't care where you go. I don't care how perfect it is. You go to some church in a rally and say, man, what a church they've got. Uh-huh. But you're not there for their midweek Bible study. And you're not sitting in the pastor's office at 1 o'clock in the morning trying to keep some woman from shooting her husband because he told her she looked fat in that dress or whatever. It's just, I'm telling you, you don't know. You don't know what's going on over there. But every church is full of people. And wherever there's people, there's problems. And so... When they would write a letter, they said, just pass this around because somebody else needs to hear this too. Somebody else needs to hear what's been said. They, they need to know what's going on. And they, they got some situations there to probably help them to, to hear what the Lord says in this situation. And so it was with these seven churches. And specifically because I believe that in these seven churches, God gives us some insight that if you'll do these things, and avoid these things, you'll be the kind of church I really want you to be. And listen, there's no, mis- there, there's no accident here that God would pick one church that has nothing right about it. And that's an example to every church that's going to read these letters. And God picks one church where he can't find anything wrong 
And that's an example. And God's saying, consider all this, would you? Just consider all this. I want you to look at it. I want you to see it. He said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I got one real message that's going to be spread over seven churches. They just get to be the example to carry out the one message I've got. And that one message is, if you really want the blessing of God, listen to what I tell these churches. Now we'll talk about that more when we get into the book of Ephesus, but it's more than just listening, I promise you. There's a whole lot more involved than just listening. We'll talk about that when we get into that at another time. Let's stand tonight. Church, I'm hungry to see God do everything He said He would do. My God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God is not a man that He should lie. That's what the Scripture says. And if God said, if you'll do this, then the whole city is going to wonder what's going on down there. I'm telling you, church, God didn't lie. And God was not exaggerating. If you want to see it happen, we need to make note of the things that God wants to tell us We need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says unto these seven churches because I'm telling you what he said to those seven churches, he's saying to Olathe. And their message is our message. And their promises are our promises. Well, hallelujah. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Anybody else feel that way? Why don't we why don't we lift our hands and talk to the Lord right now? Amen. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord everybody. Oh, hallelujah. Let's reach out to him. Oh, I want to hear, Lord Jesus. I want to hear, oh God. Talk to me, Lord, loud and clear. Don't let me miss one thing that you're trying to say, God. Let me latch on to every syllable that comes from your lips. God, help me to put it into practice. I'm ready for this city to experience an old-fashioned revival. I'm ready, oh God, for this church to have an outpouring of your spirit. I'm hungry to see 
everything you said we could see, God. Take us there. Take us there, God. Come on, let's reach out to him, saints. Let's reach out to him.